Our second scripture reading, this one from the New Testament Gospel of Luke, comes in the third chapter of Luke, beginning with verse 1 and going through verse 6. So listen now for a word from the Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother, Philip, ruler of the region of Etruria and Tronconitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out into the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. I want to begin tonight by telling you about three people, all of whom happen to be women. First, there's Tamar. I met Tamar about 10 years ago now. I was a youth on a mission trip to New York City with a group from my home church. Tamar was this gentle, elderly Jewish woman who I met while helping to serve lunch to the homeless one afternoon in her Upper West Side synagogue in New York. In that encounter, Tamar shared with our group her story, how as a child she had narrowly escaped the Nazi occupation in Europe, and how many of her family members outside of her immediate family had not been so fortunate and had died in the Holocaust. She told us about how after the war she married a Jewish-American soldier and moved to the newly created state of Israel, where they began a family. And when someone in our group asked her for her views about the decades-old conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians, she shared with us how her life experiences have taught her to always keep hope. How she hoped that one day her Jewish and Palestinian brothers and sisters might learn to love one another and to live in peace. Tamar taught me about hope. Next, there's a woman who I met about a year and a half ago while on a mission trip to Carrefour, Haiti. I was with a group of college students and adults from this church here at First Presbyterian. We had traveled to Carrefour, which is a dense urban community that's directly adjacent to the more well-known Port-au-Prince, which is the capital of Haiti. And for almost a week, our group would rise early each day, and we'd meet up with a group of local Haitians who we worked alongside And together we would go out into the crowded streets and down the narrow alleys that form neighborhoods in that community. And for a week, we painstakingly removed rubble from collapsed buildings, one stone at a time. It was hot. It was wet. It was hard work. But on the second day, this short, old, bent-over woman showed up on the site. And I spent the rest of this week in absolute awe as day after day after day this woman showed up every morning 
on the site. And she would take her spot in line and she would heave each heavy rock as it was handed to her down the line on the way to the street where we formed a pile. Her name, appropriately enough, was Lovely. And Lovely taught me what it means to really have strength. And then that same summer, I met a woman who, uh, who her friends affectionately called her Grandma Maybell. Maybell is a resident of Catadupa, Jamaica, which is this tiny community nestled high up in the hills outside Montego Bay, Jamaica. I was there with, again, a group from this church, this time youth. We had traveled uh, the junior highs for one week and the senior highs for another, and I spent both weeks with those groups working as we dug six-foot-deep holes into the hard clay earth that uh, people behind their homes would use for outhouses. Now, Maybell was an 80-year-old. She was fairly frail-looking, and by fairly, I mean she was a very frail-looking woman. And her home was one of the furthest from the church that was sort of our headquarters for those weeks. It was the place where we ate and where we slept, and Maybell's home was way further up the mountain, a few miles away. But this church was the church for the community, and this was her home. And she had spent her life worshiping in this church. She had no running water in her home. She had no electricity, no flushing toilet. And yet, I remember asking the pastor one night about Maybell, who I'd had a chance to visit with briefly when we were working at her home. And the pastor told me that every week on Sunday, Maybell makes that journey from her home down to the church and then back up the hill by foot. Every week. And the pastor said to me, that Maybell is the most faithful woman I have ever met. Maybell taught me about faith. Now, I spent less than an hour in conversation with each of these people, and I don't pretend to know but a fraction of their stories or even what they're doing today. And yet, here they are, these individuals who have taken up a permanent place in the story of my life. Three people who have taught me something about God, about faith, about strength, about love. They were, and they still are, unlikely vessels. People through whom God entered into my life to form who I am. Now the man, John, who we meet in this passage tonight, is about as unexpected and unlikely a character for the word of God to work through as any of these women in my own story. The text from Luke reads, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. But before it gets to that part, did you all hear that big block of names? Before we even get to the word John, there's this whole list, right? It tells us that the word also comes in the 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius, a time when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee. And Herod's brother, Philip, apparently this was a powerful family, Philip was ruler of the region around, and Licinius was ruler of Abilene. And as if that wasn't enough, John is also receiving and baptizing during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. I don't even know if it's possible for two people to be high priests at the same time. I didn't check the commentaries, but they're making a point with these names. Because to us today, these are just another set of unfamiliar and slightly hard to pronounce names in Scripture. 
especially for me. I think I butchered most of them. However, the effects of these names on a first century reader would have been much different. People reading or hearing this passage then would have immediately recognized this list of names as names connoting power. These are the names of people who hold the purse strings in the first century world, the people who set the dogma, the people who control the armies and rule over vast areas of land. But it's only after we get through this list of names that we learn who this word of God comes to. The word seems to bypass the seats of earthly power because it comes to this guy named John who happens to be in the wilderness. I was thinking about this, how this might sound to us today in our context, and I thought maybe if we were to translate it to sort of our vernacular today, the opening passage here might seem something like, in the year before Barack Obama's second term, when Warren Buffett was king of American empire, and Pope Benedict led over a billion members of the world's largest religion, God spoke to the person working minimum wage sweeping the sidewalks outside the Georgia Dell. God chooses the most unlikely of persons and the most unlikely of places to enter into creation. We can't know what John was feeling in this moment when the word of God came to him. Surely, I think it's safe to say, he knew that he was someone special. If you're familiar with the Luke narrative, you'll know that John's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, have an angel visit them. And they're very old when this angel visits them. Elizabeth is barren, and the angel says to them, You will have a child, and this child will be great in the sight of the Lord. But that's not where John is when we meet him. John's a long way down the road of life. He's a grown man. A long time has passed. He now lives in a time of all these great rulers. And we really don't know what's happened in his life up to this point. It doesn't tell us much. But the text does seem to suggest that he has not been proclaiming and baptizing before this moment. At the moment the word comes to him, he is just someone in a world where someone else holds the power. A single person in the wilderness of life. And this, I think, is where we encounter the text today. Because, you know, there's this sense of nothingness that we all feel at some point or another. Especially if we're someone who has had expectations placed on us or expectations that we have placed on ourselves. Whether you're a CEO, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're a student, whether you're at the beginning of a career or the end of a career or no career at all. There are those moments when we all wonder what role we really play. We feel at times empty, stranded in our own self-imposed wilderness of uncertainty and powerlessness. And yet, in these verses from the beginning of Luke, I love what I was reading one commentator on this, and I love what they said. Because in these verses from the beginning of Luke, One commentator says, the word of God comes out of nothing to those who are nothing and does something phenomenal. What an appropriate message for us to hear this Advent season. 
Yes, it's a season of expectation, but it's also a story of unexpected intrusions, of God breaking into the world through unexpected characters. Think back to the Zechariah and Elizabeth. God intrudes into their lives in a very unexpected way. God intrudes into the world through John, using him as a vessel to prepare the way for the Lord. And of course, God intrudes into the world through Mary, a young unmarried woman who gives birth to a Christ who is not adorned in royal robes. This is what one of our songs was saying earlier. Christ was not born into royalty as we think of it. He was not crowned with jewels, but he was rather a peasant baby laid in a manger in a barn in the open air of night, an unexpected intrusion. And the story of God's breaking into John's life, of calling upon him to baptize and to proclaim the coming salvation, I think proclaims to us today that even in the wilderness of our own lives, God calls on each of us and uses us too to accomplish phenomenal things. I want to leave you with a quote that I don't really keep an index of quotes, but I just happened across this one this week. I can't even remember where. It was just burnt into my head. It was a quote from that saint of a person, Mother Teresa, who once said about her work that, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Tamar, Lovely, and Maybell, they don't know that they've been pencils who have written the love of God into my life. And yet that is exactly what they have done. Unexpected blessings in unexpected places who have helped to form another child of God. John, too, was a little pencil in a big world, a person who wrote of the Savior who is coming, a Savior who is not coming to bring salvation to a select few, but rather who is bringing salvation that all flesh shall see. So my prayer for you this Advent is that this season might be a time when you acknowledge those unexpected people and those unexpected experiences through which God has intruded into your life. Because to do so is to acknowledge the reality that no matter who you are, no matter how much power you do or do not have, no matter how vast the wilderness is around you, that you too are a pencil in the hand of a writing God. It's to acknowledge that through each of us, God has and can and will accomplish phenomenal things. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.